the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Unredeemed man says, I can keep God happy by doing good and righteous things every now and then, forgetting that he is barren and desolate because of his apostasy and the judgment of God. I like the way the hymn puts it. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner takes us back to Galatians today as we continue our look at this marvelous allegory on law and grace that the Apostle Paul lays out for us here in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31. It is easy to get into the mindset that It's what we do that saves us. We can endear ourselves to God by our actions. Yet it is only the actions of one that God has great affection for. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. He's not criticizing the law of God. He's not saying the law of God is some mean old thing. He is saying the law of God does have a place in living the Christian life. But someone who is ungenerate, Unregenerate, someone who is not a believer, who is using God's law, imagining by doing enough right things and performing enough right rituals that he will be accepted with God is a slave to that law. Because once you start, you cannot stop. Because if you are determined to be saved by keeping the law of God, being a little kinder and a little gentler and a a little more obedient and a, a little more loving and living a little better this week, Then, brother or sisters, you've got to live 100% of the time in utter perfection. No let up. You can never relax. You must always, with all the intensity in you, make sure you've done enough. And what if you get right up to the end and you're just one point short? And yet you thought you had plenty How do you know when you have made enough points that are good? You see, trying to obey God and getting him to like you and not through faith in Christ is a life of slavery and bondage. Freedom only comes when a person just casts aside that whole approach and says there is no use in even trying to make one point. You have never, you have never made one point with God. And you never will, because all of your righteousness, all of your righteousness, all that you have thought you have done good is as filthy rags. Do you realize that in and of yourself, before you were a Christian, you never did one thing good? You didn't do any good things. Do you think that is going too far? Romans 3. There is none who does good. 
No, not one. You must lay aside that whole approach to God and realize, as Paul says about himself, we are nothing. We have nothing we can claim in and of ourselves. And as the song says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. What does the person who wants to generate the good life say? Lord, look what's in my hands. Look at the good things I've done. Don't look at the bad things, but look at all the good things I've done. My hands are full of good things. What does the believer say? Lord, my hands are empty, but I pray you will look at Jesus' life. I pray that you will look at the nail scars I'm trusting in him alone for salvation. That is when a person is free. These two sons were born in two different ways. Notice what it says in verse 23. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman was born through the promise. Ishmael was born according to the flesh, and Isaac was born according to the promise. Now, what is the point? Well, Ishmael was born simply according to natural procreative processes about 14 years before Isaac. There was nothing unusual about his birth. Moreover, he was conceived in sin because the whole way Sarah hatched up this situation was in disbelief that God could not fulfill his promise. So to say that he was born according to the flesh, it's not simply to say he was born according to natural procreative processes, but also that there was sin involved in the whole conception. On the other hand, Isaac's birth stands out in contrast to Ishmael's because Isaac's birth was through the promise. Please listen now because this is good stuff. Isaac was born through the promise. Now, the preposition through in Greek indicates that the promise called Isaac's life into being. What God promised, he did, and it was the promise of God that brought Isaac to be conceived in his mother's womb. Look at verse 29 of the same chapter. The phrase through the promise now changes to another prepositional phrase. But at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So now Isaac is not only said to have been born through the promise, but he is born according to the spirit. And here, once again, you see, as the Bible continues to emphasize this close, inseparable connection to the promise of God with the spirit of God between the word of God and the spirit of God. In other words, the promise was powerful because of the Spirit of God working in, through, and by that promise. In other words, it was God's promise in the power of the Spirit that caused Isaac to be born, not because of anything in Isaac. Sarah was barren. Abraham was an old man. But in loving each other, God enabled them to produce a son, and it was the promise of God empowered by the Spirit of God, that enabled them to produce Isaac. Now that is important to bear in mind. Ishmael was just born. Isaac was born by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. The point is that the promise of God is not simply an offer made on stipulated conditions. When we read about the Bible being a promise, it is not, 
I promise if you do something, if you meet certain requirements, then I promise that I will do such and such for you. If that's all the promise was to Sarah and Abraham, they would have never had Isaac. We're talking here about people who were 90 years old, 90 years of age. And, and, and actually, Abraham was 100 years old, conceiving, producing a child. No, the promise isn't simply an offer that if I meet the stipulated conditions, I get the offer. The promise is not something man can bring about in his own strength. It is something only God can give. Abraham and Sarah would never have had Isaac if God's promised and promise empowered by his spirit had not enabled them to produce Isaac. To say that Isaac, in contrast to Ishmael, was born through the promise according to the Spirit is to say that God graciously and powerfully enabled Abraham and Sarah to bring forth Isaac in their old age. And by the way, it wasn't because Sarah was better than Hagar. In fact, I think at this early point of their lives, Sarah was worse than Hagar. She got Hagar in all kinds of trouble. And then when God told Sarah she would be pregnant by Abraham, remember, she laughed in her heart and then lied that she ever laughed. I mean, she didn't deserve to be the mother of the promise. But in spite of what she deserved, in spite of her demerit, God in sovereign grace enabled her to give birth to Isaac. Hebrews 11.11 says, by faith, and it was, wasn't the greatest of faith here, but by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive. Or in the literal Greek, it says, Sarah received the power of the laying down of the seed, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had the promise. So you see, Abraham even Sorry, Sarah, even in her sin, is an example of salvation by faith in Christ alone, not by works. So the point is, you are either an Ishmael or you an Isaac. You are either enslaved to your sin and death and that frustrating, never-ending work of trying to make an appointment with God, or by grace, you are an Isaac and you have been set free. By that whole scheme of things. You've been set free from your sins. You've been forgiven. And you walk now with God. That is Paul's point. From Old Testament history. Now he brings up. A point from an Old Testament allegory. And he allegories, allegorizes Ishmael's mother Hagar. And Isaac's mother Sarah. So let's look at verses 24 through 26. This is speaking allegorically for these women symbolize two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar, and our text says, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So here is this allegory of Sarah and Hagar, and we see two covenants, two religions, two approaches to God contrasted. These two mothers have two different kinds of religions. Hagar represented a religion of bondage, a misrepresentation of Mount Sinai and of the Mosaic Covenant and the law of God. Remember, this is the whole point of Galatians. 
This is another place where the antinomians, people who don't like the law of God, go crazy. When it says Hagar represents another covenant, Mount Sinai, which Paul has been doing throughout the whole book, he is pointing out the misinterpretation of the Judaizers. They have taken the law of God and they have made it something that was never made to be. They have taken the Ten Commandments given on Mount Sinai and they made a ladder to heaven. If you obey the law enough, then God is going to let you in. So that's a religion of death. It's a religion of slavery, a misunderstanding of God's law, a misunderstanding of what God gave, why God gave the Ten Commandments. And such approach to the Bible and such a religion and such a misunderstanding of the covenant cannot break the slavery that it produces. On the other hand, Sarah symbolizes a religion of freedom, a, a covenant of grace. The true interpretation of the covenant with Abraham and Moses that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. She represents justification by faith in Christ alone. And why is it that Hagar and her descendants philosophically, the Judaizers, the legalists, anyone that tries to get in uh, to God by obeying a little better, hoping to make enough merits to get in with God, the reason such a, such a religion enslaves is because they imagine that by strict and sincere obedience to the law of Sinai, they can earn a place in heaven. And you see, the Paul, point Paul is making is that Hagar was never intended to be the wife of Abraham. Hagar was Sarah's handmaiden. She was never meant to be anything else than her handmaiden. And when she was placed in the position of being Abraham's wife, it was totally out of place and out of position, and it fouled everything up. And so it is with the law of God. The law of God was never meant to be the means by which we get our sins forgiven and find a place in the kingdom of God. You see, it was always meant to be a handmaiden to grace. The purpose of law, the law of God, is to show us our sins, to convict us of our sins, to show us how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ, and to shut up all other ways of escape so that we are driven to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was never meant to take the place or be a different way of approaching God on the basis of what you do and how many times you obey, just like Hagar was never meant to be the wife of Abraham. And what did these Judaizers, these legalists of Paul's day do? They took the law of God and they put it in the wrong place. He's not throwing stones at God's law. The law of God is a handmaiden. It is good. It is given by God. But when you get law and grace mixed up, and you forget that we are saved by grace through faith alone and not by the works of the law, and you think that there is something you have to do to ensure your salvation, that is when everything gets perverted. That brings us to the last of this allegory, which is about two Jerusalems. Look at verses 25 and 26. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Now here you have a contrast between the Jerusalem that is now, 
that is the present Jerusalem and the Jerusalem that is above. Now, it's obvious what Paul is getting at when he says the Jerusalem that is now. He is talking about the literal Jerusalem, the center of Judaism, the center of the Judaizers, the center of legalism. And he's saying that this city represents those who fill it and who are trying to get to God by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps rather than believing that Jesus is the Messiah and casting themselves upon him alone for salvation. All of the inhabitants of that city are enslaved to the law along with their children because they rejected Christ as their Messiah and they misrepresented his way of salvation, making it a way of human effort rather than a way of faith in Christ alone. Over against that, you would have thought that the contrast would have been easier to say, I am going to make a contrast between the Jerusalem that is now and that Jerusalem that will be. But it doesn't say that. The contrast is between Jerusalem that now is, the present Jerusalem, this literal Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem above. So what is the point of this contrast? What is the Jerusalem above? Why didn't he just draw the contrast between the Jerusalem that now is and the Jerusalem that will be? The reason is because both Jerusalems are here and now. The literal Jerusalem, legalism, and those who seek to get to God by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps is here. And the Jerusalem above, or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is here and now. But it is from above. The Jerusalem that is comprised of true believers who believe in justification by faith in Christ alone is from above. That is, it is here and now. But it originates with God and not with man. Its builder and maker is God, not man. Jesus said, it is not from this world, it is from another place. And he said on another occasion that to enter his kingdom, one had to be born from above. So to call Jerusalem the Jerusalem from above, it's not simply to refer to that assembly of all those believers who died and had left the struggle of this life and are now in their eternal rest. The Jerusalem that originates from above includes the assembly of all the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ on earth now whose faith is from God himself, you and I. It is that church in which believers are gathered and nourished and governed by God himself. There are a couple other places I'd like you to turn with me to where the church is called Jerusalem. And not only Jerusalem, but in one instance, the Jerusalem from above. Hebrews 12, 22 through 25. Let me read just part of it for you. It says, past tense, concerning Christians, you have come to Mount Sinai, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? Of course, Jesus Christ. So when a person became a Christian, he comes to Mount Sinai symbolically. That is the mountain in Jerusalem where the temple sat, the house of God, to enjoy fellowship with him. They come into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem has come down from heaven, which is the church of the firstborn. 
Look at Revelation 21, starting with verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, that is, coming to the earth, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. To this very day, we are the tabernacle and temple of God. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, just as he is today through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here you see Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. It originated with God, not with man, and by grace, we are participants of it. And it is the exact opposite of the literal Jerusalem. The Jerusalem from above, the true church is free. She's not enslaved because she believes that salvation is through faith in Christ alone and not by the works of the law. And then notice what Paul says in verse 26 of Galatians 4. But the Jerusalem that has come from God, that we are participants in by faith, is free. She is our mother. Now I want to leave this thought with you as I come to a close. Because this is a precious thought. Everyone who has God as their father through Christ has the church of Christ as their mother. No one ever said it better than John Calvin. He said, regarding the visible church, let us learn, even from the simple title, title, mother, how useful, indeed how necessary it is that we should know her. For there is no other way to enter into life unless this mother conceive us in her womb. He's talking about the church. Give us birth, nourish us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keeps us under her care and guidance until putting off mortal flesh, we become like angels. Our weakness does not allow us to be diminished from her school until we have been pupils all our lives. Furthermore, away from her bosom, one cannot hope for any forgiveness of sins or any salvation. The church is your mother. Do you treat her like that? The true church where justification by faith in Christ alone is preached is to be respected and revered and loved just as you would respect and revere and love your dear mother. And I put here when she gets old, sick, and feeble, but even when she's well. The church isn't something you should easily leave or cast aside when you see faults in her or you just don't like what she says. As if she, has just, she is just another organization competing for your time and money. She is your mother. She is a mother you should love even with her faults. So you and I should always be seeking her best interests, appreciating all she has done and is doing for us. And we must be extremely careful and protective in the way we criticize her. Because when you criticize her, you are criticizing your mother. Remember what Calvin said, away from your mother's bosom, one cannot hope for forgiveness. 
There's no other way for entering life unless the mother conceives us in her womb. And yet you look around today and you can find people on every hand who claim to be born-again Christians who have no use whatsoever for the visible organized church. And if you were a person who just thinks you can take or leave the church or just attend when it's convenient for you or when you feel up to it, I ask you, how can you claim to be born again without real allegiance to your mother? Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.